I've got it. Oh, okay. Well, then bring it up. <laughs> I was all excited. I got all of the technology to work, but my slide font was too small, apparently. And just wanted people to actually be able to read the slides. So thank you, dearest, for taking care of my... Uh, Error, I guess. And another quick reminder: if you have kids that are uh, like that, that are inclined to to get a little rowdy, it is okay. We love having kids here. Uh, if you feel uncomfortable, you can take them on downstairs to the uh, to the room right underneath us at the end of the Sunday school hall, and they can uh, they can hang out down there. Is it really just not going to work? Okay. Aha. There we are. Okay. Let's uh let's bow our heads in prayer and we will dive into the text and our message for today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with me. Help me to um be faithful in in sharing your word this morning. Help me to be faithful in in uh just digging into your gospel. Help me to to um just bring everybody back to Christ as we talk about prayer. Help me to bring everyone back to the the reminder that all of this is something we can we can do because of your son. I pray that um, this this series of, of sermons on prayer that it wouldn't just be another set of messages, Lord. I pray that we would be inspired to be a people of prayer, um, Lord God. I I know that the the depth of our relationship with you, the the um, potential we have as believers in impacting the world. The, the ministry we do, everything, Lord, our families, everything is impacted by us coming to you in prayer. Um, and, and I pray that you would turn us into a praying people, a people that, that would talk to you and reach out to you and cry out to you and, and, and just seek your presence daily. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I am actually going to open with a story I have told before. And so uh, I am not sorry. I, it is one of my favorite stories. And so if you've heard this one, don't stop me. Got it? Um, many years ago when I was in college, I had a brief period of time where uh, I was uh, very popular with the girls. For I have no idea why. I think there may have been insanity uh, involved or blindness or something. But um, I, I, a lot of girls would come around and visit me and talk to me and stuff like that. And um, one evening, I had this uh, gal come by and ask me for a ride to the grocery store because I was one of the only guys who had a car, which is probably more what it was than anything else. Um, I had this 78 Buick LeSabre, paid a whopping 600 bucks for it. It was rust-colored, which was convenient, sort of brown rust, so it was like dirt and rust mixed. It was a very convenient paint scheme because you couldn't tell how dirty it was or how rusty it was. Um, and this is in South Chicago, and I... I uh, took this gal and, like, actually, as it turns out, about six of her friends because, you know, I was the only guy with a car. I took him to the grocery store and uh, we went in. We do our grocery shopping. And when we come out, uh, I sit down in this car, uh, which I used to call Grace because by the grace of God, it kept running. Um, I turned the key. It rolled over. It rolled over. It rolled over. And guess what happened? It was broken down. It did not start. Thank you, Titus. Uh, you know, my kid's high opinion of this. 
Um, so the car wouldn't start, and I saw this as an opportunity, not a crisis, right? Because it was an opportunity to get the car started on my own and look good in front of this carload of girls. And so I popped the trunk, went, grabbed my toolbox, was under the hood, and started messing around. The gal who was uh, who who I was attempting to uh, woo at the time uh, sat behind the steering wheel, and I would say, "All right, well, try now. Let me see." And I'm trying to figure out what's wrong, and I just could not figure it out. I was fairly new to fixing cars. I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And we were out there, and I'm taking things apart. I'm checking the spark. I'm checking this. I'm checking that, and I cannot figure out what the problem was. And after about an hour and a half, I looked a lot less cool because I was not succeeding. And um, at about that time, some other people we knew came along, and the girls left in somebody else's car, which is the worst thing. Now, well, it was, I don't know, they, it was merciful, I guess, in a way, because I got rescued from this. Um, but I was out there for several hours fiddling and messing with the car, and nothing worked. And then the grocery store closed. And then it started raining. And I was underneath the light, like a, one of those parking lot lights, and it's raining, and I'm wet and greasy, and I am increasingly frustrated. And I remember getting to a point where I, I had my book out, and I was, like, flipping through my repair manual. And I'm like, oh, I tried this, I tried this, I don't understand what's going on. And, like, I remember I, I said, I will drive it home or I will stay here overnight. I am getting this, you know, like stubborn Eric. And I'm messing with it, messing, messing with it. And finally, I am so frustrated, I just lose my cool. And I punch my dashboard. It's one of those old 70s cars with the vinyl dashboards. And so they get dried out after a while. And what happens when you punch them? They break. And so I spiderweb broke my dashboard, and I grabbed the key, and I turned it and held it, and the car turned over and turned over and turned over. Then it turned over a little slower. Anybody know what happens next? Stop turning over. <laughs> and I was, I felt stupid because it didn't, like I knew that, I, I was just overwhelmed. I could not do it myself, no matter how hard I tried. And so I'm out there, the hood's open, it's pouring rain, and I go rifling through my pockets, and I find a quarter to call a tow truck. And as I'm about to get out of the car, I got this, like, little voice in my head. Uh, it's probably my own voice. Hey, Eric, you haven't prayed about this. And I was like, oh, I don't want to. Well, maybe I should, though. And so I didn't close my eyes. It was the least reverent, most begrudging prayer I've ever said in my entire life. I said, God, I do not want to have my car towed. If you could help me out, I would appreciate it. And before I was done praying, I didn't say amen, I didn't close my eyes, I didn't anything. This little Honda comes tearing across the parking lot. It's pouring rain, and it comes sliding, no joke, sliding up to my car, and these three guys get out, and they've got toolboxes. They don't even talk to me. And I get out, and I'm like trying to, what, what do you guys do? Don't worry, we know all about old cars. We got it. And I'm trying to talk to them, and they're cussing at me, and they're cussing at the car, and they're like, it is just, and they are quite intoxicated. And um, they figure out what's wrong with it. They go to jumpstart the car, and the guy who is driving, who is maybe the least drunk in the group, I stop them, and I'm like, hey, who are you guys? And the guy, I think it was the only thing he said the entire time without swear, and he looked at me, and he said, we're from God. I um, don't know. We're going to talk today about how to pray right and how to pray wrong. 
I think that was easily one of the worst prayers I've ever said, right? It was not eloquent. It was not long-winded. It was not clever. It was hardly heartfelt. Um, But I think that there are right ways and wrong ways to approach God. I think there are right ways and wrong ways to talk to God. Sometimes beautiful, well-written prayers are not the right way. And you can definitely do it wrong. And so we're going to be working our way through this, like since we've been working on learning how to pray, um, we're going to learn how to pray right. And we're going to do this in the book of James. So if you want to find the book of James, uh, I will not have the text on the screen. It will be in your Bible, so you will need to use the analog version. Um, a little background. We talked a little bit last week about, uh, about prayer, and actually over the last few weeks about prayer, like in, from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks about the right way and the wrong way to pray. And one of the things he emphasizes very heavily is don't pray in such a way that the whole world sees you doing it as a way of building yourself up or being arrogant. And, like, there's kind of a recurring theme there about, like, not doing things for anybody but you and God. And the underlying message is prayer is about your relationship with God, not about getting what you want or looking awesome in front of other people. Got it? And so then he goes on and he gives us a format for prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer. And we've worked our way through that and talked about following it as a pattern of topics for praying. And now we're going to look at some of what the early church has to say on the subject, specifically what James has to say. James um, was the brother of Jesus, a half-brother, sorry. He was the leader of the church after Peter went into hiding. And uh, he led the church for a number of years. James, uh, this letter is a circular, meaning it went to a whole bunch of different churches. And so a lot of different people read this. It was not written to one church in particular or one group in particular. It is everyone. And so that needs to kind of just be aware. We're going to be in chapter 4. And so if you want to find James chapter 4, you can read along. Um, I have bookmarks because I'm cheating. Okay. So... And mind you, I'm going to have to do this a little, I'm going to do my best. James is a very complex and tightly written book. There's a lot going on, okay? I am not going to be able to do all of it, and I'm going to try not to rabbit trail since I'm already eight minutes in. I'm only getting to the text now. But the story was cool, right? Worth it? Remember that when we're 15 minutes after. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not that your passion are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And we're going to pause there because this is like sort of the bulk of the text we're going to look at. We'll do a little more than that at the end, but right now we're going to kind of stay in these first few verses. Um, verse 1 is this, uh, what causes quarrels and fights amongst you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? And we're going to talk about this just briefly. Um, it's a big deal because, like, this line is a big deal because the church, um, like, the one sin that we see recurring mentioned in the New Testament, like, in all of the epistles it's mentioned, is disunity in the body. 
Okay, churches are not supposed to fight with each other. Believers are not supposed to attack each other. We're not supposed to mistreat each other. We're not supposed to, like, we're just not supposed to fight. And in fact, actually, one of the things that Jesus says in, is in John 13, 35. I'm actually going to read this one because I think it's important. Um, yeah, let's find it. All right, there it is. John 13, 35. Um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And also, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, this is a verse that cannot be emphasized enough, because it is Jesus saying, listen, how, do you, how is the world going to judge you? How will people know that you belong to me? It is how you love one another. So if James is in a spot where he's like, hey, guys, quit murdering each other. Quit fighting. Quit quarreling. Quit wanting things that don't belong to you. Quit, like, quit you know, punching each other. Like, quit, quit being in conflict. They're failing to do this, right? Like, that's not okay. And actually, even more so, I'm not going to jump to the text, but if you want to look it up on your own later, Matthew 20, um, Jesus talks about, like, uh, it's the spot where, like, James and John had their mom go talk to Jesus. Hey, can my sons be in prominence in heaven on your right and left hand? And Jesus is like, yeah, no, I can't give that to them. And then he calls them all together, and he's like, look, guys, if you really want to be great in the kingdom of heaven... You got to serve everybody around you. You have to make yourself the least. You do not become the best by demanding your way or forcing it on other people. And we see that play out in the rest of the letters where Paul says things like, consider the needs of other brothers and sisters in Christ more important than your own. Um, set your own needs aside. Why? Because we're supposed to be like Jesus. And Jesus who like steps out of heaven and dies for our sins to redeem us, like we're supposed to love each other the same way. This is what we are commanded to do. This is how you know we are believers because we become this kind of person. Now, um, why are these guys doing it then? It's because there are desires battling in them, meaning that there are two contrasting ways. Like, I want to look like Brad Pitt, young Brad Pitt. I don't know. He might have gotten fat as he's gotten older. I don't know. But I want to be thin and I want to be muscular. But I also want to eat cookies and cake and pizza and lots of other stuff that gets in the way of me being that version of Eric. Everybody with me? And those desires battle within me. In the church, what was going on was people were looking at each other and saying, I really want to be the best in the room. I really want the church to run my way. I really want things to happen in harmony with my will. I want this. I want this. I want this. And that is their desires. The opposite end of that is belong to Christ. Be redeemed from my old sinful ways. Um, conform to the likeness of Christ and do the good works that are set about for me to do as a saved person. Like, and those two conflict, and it creates ugliness. And this is the case within the church and within individuals. They are fighting with each other because they're trying to desire the world, and they're also trying to desire Christ. And you can't do both. You cannot cannot serve two masters. Has anybody ever had a job where you had more than one boss? Every farm kid in the house, or in the church right now is saying, yeah, I've had at least two. You know, I'd have to go to work and I'd have to figure out which parent was in charge today or, you know, grandparent or whatever. Like, 
the deal with having more than one boss is you always hope that the one guy is there, not the other, right? And you grow to compare them and resent one and love the other. Um, so it is with us and sin and Christ. We cannot serve both. Um, why does that result in conflict? I'm going to tell you, watch this. The surest way to overcome a battle like this is spending time with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more you talk with him, the more you consume his word, the more you pray, the more you pray about the things you're struggling with, the more you pray when you're facing temptation, the more you do that, the more one begins to grow in prominence and the other begins to shrink. You grow to love Christ by spending time with him, right? It's a little like, you know, my wife. I When we were uh, first met, um, the more time I spent with her, the more I became Twitter-pated, right? And now, 25 years down the way, I'm super-duper extra in love because it grows and it grows and it grows. It's how marriages, it's how relationships, it's how it works. The same is true of us in Christ. The more time we spend with Christ, the more we love him, the more we become like him, the less quarreling and fighting and all this other nonsense makes sense. It goes away as time goes on. And so, like, up front, this part of what's going on in this verse is he's saying, look, guys, you've got too much happening. You're trying to be on both sides of the fence. You're trying to serve yourself. You're trying to do your own thing. And you're also trying to pretend that you're following Jesus at the same time. And it's producing these results. Now, we're going to go to verse 2, and we're going to do the first half of verse 2 there. Jumping back over to James. Um, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Um, now, sin leads like these people's actions. Um, they have created a situation where this conflict, I may actually just be re-going over a point because I looked at my thing. I'm like, oh, verse 2. Um, ultimately, what it comes down to is these are people who are seeking their own well, and they're seeking to feed their flesh, their sinful desires. Right? And, like, the way you overcome that is you look to the Spirit and you rise up in Him. That's a different conversation and a different sermon. So, moving on to prayer. Amazingly, people who are self-interested and soaking in their flesh and their sin are not getting a lot of result out of their prayer. It is crazy how that is. It's a little like how, again, I'm going to come back to marriage. There are seasons in my marriage, there have been seasons where I do not get along with my wife as well as would be ideal. And if I ask for things, she is far less likely to be a part of that equation. Like, hey, honey, can you grab me a cup of coffee so I don't have to get out of bed? When we're getting along, it works better, right? It does. Um, the truth is that if our relationship with Christ, if our relationship with God is broken, um, it damages our prayer life. And James talks about that, and we'll come back around to it. I'm going to try and follow along here. Um, I know I know. I'm trying not to get stuck in the sidetrack. Like, you don't need to fuss about it. Um, yeah. Our first, so here's the first principle, right? The most common way to pray wrong is just not to pray. Everybody got it? When my car wouldn't start, and I fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it and got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier, I didn't ask, right? I have at home um, spread throughout my possessions about 800 gift cards to places that no longer exist. 
right? Like, I have gift cards that I can never spend. Why? Because I didn't spend them when the time came. Um, I heard a statistic the other day that literally, like, billions of dollars are lost every year within our economy, like to consumers, because they get gift cards and they just don't use them. They just let them go. And, like, then the business gets money for nothing. And the, you know, recipient has a gift card that's not useful for anything. Um, and and I, I was thinking about Actually, I went for coffee with a friend the other day in Fort Benton. And I uh, took my gift card because the company changed hands that the, the daily cup, the wake up, changed hands. And they don't take their old gift cards. And I've got, like, 40 of them that were gifted to me over time. And I have one that is current. I'm like, I'm going to use that. And I walked in and I bought my coffee. Where was the gift card? In my pocket. Did I use it? No. Because it's going to expire and I'm going to waste it again. Why? Because I can pay for this myself. Right? And this is part of what happens when it comes to prayer. Is that we believe we can do it ourselves. Um, Some of the things that get in the way of prayer, first off, is that we're wise in our own eyes. I don't need God's help. I can do this myself. This is actually uh, James uh, chapter 1. We're going to jump back a page. uh, Verses 2 through 8. Uh, or two through eight, that's not right. Oh, maybe it is. Um, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, so that you, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who will give generously to all without reproach. It, is, it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I did a little more than I planned, or that seems obvious, because part of that is about asking for wisdom. But there's more going on there. When we face a situation, right, when we face a situation where we are struggling and we're in difficulty or life is hard and we don't pray and we complain instead, anybody ever done that? I'm just going to raise my hand. We don't ask for God to show us what's going on. We don't ask for God to help. We don't ask for wisdom to grow in the moment or anything. When we don't do those things, we don't grow. We don't get wisdom. And part of the reason we do that is because we're being double-minded. We're like, I can do this myself. Or it's better to complain today than to ask God to help me move through this. Or whatever. Like we're trying to stand on both sides of the fence and we get nothing out of it. And without God's wisdom, without understanding of what's really going on, we don't ever move forward. We cannot grow spiritually. The same is true of almost anything. If we believe we are wise, if we believe that we can control all things, if we believe we don't need God... Um, or that our way is better, then we won't pray and we will not get anything from God to guide us through the situation we're in. Most of all, we will not receive Christ. If you want to get through a difficult situation, if you want to act right towards those who are persecuting or mistreating you or who you like grind your teeth when you think about them and you're angry all the time, like if you, if you want to like not have anything, if you want to have no Christ in that, don't ask. If you want to learn to be like Christ and imitate him in difficult situations and relationships, talk to him. The hardest thing I ever learned to do years ago was learning to pray for people who are mistreating me. And I still don't do it well. 
Um, but it's amazing that once I started doing that, I changed and the situation changed, and it was crazy. Um, and so it is here. Like, if we think we can do it on our own, we will not ask. Um, we will not seek him out. We will do it on our own, and we will ultimately fail. Um, I have uh, James 3, 2 to 8. I just want to read real quick. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Did I do t- No, 12 to 18. Oh, my gosh, I'm lost. Um, it should be 13 to 18, actually. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every kind of vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's going on there? By the way, the very next verse is the one that we started with. What causes quarrels amongst you? So why, why that? Because we ask for wisdom. We ask for Christ to be in us. We pray, God, come and be in me. God, come and fill me up. God, come and make me like your son. Give me wisdom. Give me the ability to live out. Because wisdom isn't just smart. Wisdom is applying God's truth in our daily life um, and, and walking in harmony with his will. And so as we pray for wisdom, as we pray and consume Christ and fill ourselves up with him, we change. If we live in conflict, if we are doing the opposite of what chapter 3 there says, where we're like, you know, vile and selfish and angry and demanding our way and everything else, it's a product of not praying. It's a product of a lack of godly wisdom and instead relying on earthly wisdom, and it will tend to draw you away from praying. Why? Because it's difficult to pray for sin. Got it? It is hard to pray for sin. I know a guy who, um, years ago, it was like 20 years ago, um, I, I knew a guy, I was talking to him about prayer and about his struggle with um, issues related to lust and, and women who were not his wife and everything else. And he said that like the thing that he learned to do was to pray to thank God for very attractive women around him. And it felt so weird and gross and wrong that he stopped looking at other women. It was like just the craziest thing. You you can't pray for God to kill your neighbor and pretend to be like Jesus. You cannot pray for God to do wicked things. It will break inside you spiritually. Um, So the reason we cannot, like, so, again, this drives us away from prayer. When I'm facing difficulty in my life or relationship or whatever, and I pray about it, I'm going to come closer to Christ, I'm going to receive wisdom, and I'm going to act right. If I pray for God to do bad things for me or to fulfill my selfish desires, number one, he's not going to answer those prayers if I'm lucky. And number two, um, if I do pray that way, like it'll break it in me. If I don't, I just won't pray. Like, like it becomes impossible to do those things. The last thing I want to talk or not the last thing, but the next thing I want to talk about in relation to prayer is sometimes we are self-sufficient. I can do this. I can fix this car, and I'm going to. That way these girls will know that I'm a great manly man. Did not work out. Um, there's a line from uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book on prayer. It's prayer, what good is it? Prosperity may dilute prayer too. 
In my travels, I have noticed that Christians in developing countries spend less time pondering the effectiveness of prayer and more time actually praying. The wealthy rely on talent and resources to solve immediate problems, and insurance policies and retirement plans secure the future. We can hardly pray with sincerity, give us this day our daily bread, when the pantry is stocked with a month's worth of supplies and provisions. Um, One of the reasons we do not pray, and to pray wrong is to not pray. One of the reasons we do that is because we don't need God, or we convince ourselves we don't need God. I'm smart enough to do this on my own. I am good enough at what I'm doing to do this on my own. I have enough money. I have this. I have that. It doesn't fit ultimately into my conception of the world because I have become so rooted in worldliness that I don't think I need God to do these things. If I become so rooted in worldliness, I will naturally not pray. By the way, that's double-mindedness, right? That is loving two masters or trying to. And you end up neglecting one and obeying the other, which is the world or your ability. This is why, like, like, and this is, it's kind of a, it's a blessing to live in a place where you have so much money and you have freedom and you have all this other stuff. It is a curse at the same time because you begin to forget what James says in chapter one, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We tend to believe that every good and perfect gift I have comes from me being awesome. Or if you're like a spoiled child, me deserving awesome stuff, right? You ever have your kids do that when they were young? I deserve candy. I deserve dessert. I deserve to stay up late as I want. I should get allowance without doing my chores or doing them wrong. I should get because I'm wonderful. In reality, we get everything we get because God gives it to us. And we have to stop and say thank you. We get, actually, even beyond that, the only reason we have the right to approach God, the only reason that we have the right to talk to him is because Christ died for us, redeemed us. We are adopted into his family through Christ's death on the cross, and we can approach God in prayer. Um, that's the only way that even happens. We have nothing. We bring nothing to the table. We receive answer to prayer. We receive gifts from God. Because of Christ, because of his mercy on us. Um, And sometimes we're just too busy to value prayer. I'm going back to Philippiansi. i got a quote for you. Um, Increasingly, time pressures crowd out the leisurely pace that prayer seems to require. Communication with other people keeps getting shorter and more cryptic. Text messages, emails, instant messages. We have less and less time for conversation, let alone contemplation. We have the constant sensation of not enough, not enough time, not enough rest, not enough exercise, not enough leisure. Where does God fit into a life that is already seems to be behind schedule? I am going to confess that the thing that gets in the way of me praying the most is me being busy. It is really hard to get up in the morning and spend the first hour of my day with Jesus. Um, reading and praying and all that. Like, it's hard to do that when I have a list of things that I need to get done today. And in reality, that is lying to myself and saying, I can do this myself. Um, I read about Martin Luther, um, that he stayed in a hotel once while traveling. Uh, and hotels were different then. They were not, you know, everybody has their own room and a continental breakfast. Um, there was a sheet between him and another guy. And the other guy woke up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and Luther was praying. And he said, well, what are you doing up so early? He said, oh, I have a very busy day, so I had to pray extra long, so I had to get up earlier to pray. 
But this is not how we approach prayer. Um, Because ultimately it's easy to fall into this double-mindedness. It's easy to fall into this idea that I am a free agent and trying to stand on both sides of the fence. And in reality, if his kingdom is going to come, if he is my king, then I owe him as much time as I can give him. I need to go to him and get direction. I need to spend time with him and get training and be filled up with energy and, and like righteousness and all this other stuff. Like, I need him. And without that, I, I, I will fail. I will fall short. My spiritual life will be flat. I will accomplish nothing in harmony with his will. Um, and it doesn't work the way, it, the way we want it to sometimes. You ever get that? Where you pray and you're like, all right, God, where are you? All right, where's my answer? I want my answer now. When I was a young Christian, I loved going to church because uh, Pastor Mike was the first church I ever went to, first two years, maybe a year that I was a Christian. And I swear to you, every Sunday, Pastor Mike talked about what I was praying about. Unreal. It was like he was talking directly to me. I've heard people say that. Um, And you know what? I can honestly say that has not happened the full 30 years I've been a Christian. It's happened at times, and at other times it hasn't. Why? Because sometimes God is silent because i got to learn to grow or because i got to look in new places or because i just got to stop and listen. Um, we want instant. We want easy. We want, you know, we want a different version of what we get. I'm skipping over my quote here so I don't go too long. Um, ultimately, lack of prayer uh, is often, excuse me, lack of prayer is often overcome most readily when we realize that we need to pray and are forced to do so from a place of powerlessness. When my car was powerless because the battery was dead and I was powerless to fix it, I prayed. When I have prosperity, when I don't have time because I have too much to do and I'm responsible and I'm going to do this stuff, when I have this stuff going on, I don't pray. When you overcome it, a lot of times it's because you're forced to because everything gets broken and you have to pray. That was at the beginning of last summer, um, in the beginning of last spring, I guess, I watched people pray more here than I have seen in my entire 11 years here. It was unreal. Uh, I think one of the times that I saw Carly pray the most was when she was pregnant with Yancey. And I, I heard about her prayer. I was present for some of it. Like, I, I, Is that about right, Carly? It's amazing how being in trouble makes us pray. Um, and it's because we have to be, like, it forces us into a place where we have to stop and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to help me. We become humble. Humility, by the way, is best learned through a thing called humiliation. The realization that you can't do it yourself, right? I was in a gun store in Reno, and I was looking at a pistol in a cabinet just because I could. I was on vacation. And I was talking to the guy and, you know, saying what I knew, trying to sound somewhat knowledgeable. And I pulled the slide back and I couldn't figure out how to unlock it. There's nothing more humbling than putting it down and saying, all right, I can't figure that out. Can you do that for me? That nobody else has had that happen. But when we say, hey, I'm going to fix this situation and we can't. We say, hey, I'll take care of this. And we fall flat on our face. When we think we have the right words, and there are words, not the Holy Spirit's words, and we trip and we stumble and we say the wrong thing, it's humiliating. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He hears us when we approach him humbly and ask for help. He 
hears us and responds when we ask him to step into our world and do things that we can't do. Um, The biggest, biggest, biggest way that we fail to pray right is by just not doing it because we think we can do it ourselves. I am making an executive decision to split this sermon in half. Next week, we are going to talk about um, the other way to pray wrong, and that is to pray from self-interest. I cannot do that right today. I don't have time, and I want to do it right. Um, The watchword next week will be the idea, every machine is a smoke machine if you work it wrong enough. And so it is with prayer. You can work it wrong enough that it becomes a smoke machine that blinds you to what's really happening in the world around you. And so my challenge for you this week, actually, we're going to just focus on the one big idea. My challenge for you this week is, are you like the prodigal son? You guys know the prodigal son, right? He looks at God and he says, or he looks at his dad and he says, Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm leaving. He takes the inheritance, he wastes it, and he ends up like feeding pigs. And he's looking at the pig's food and thinking, man, I wish I had some of that. I am so hungry, I would eat garbage, and I'm doing the worst job in the world. And then he finally stops and says, hey, I could go talk to my dad, and he would let me be a slave, I bet. All I have to do is go talk to dad. And so, like, what we find out ultimately is he could always have gone back. Any time he could have gone back, and as long as he was sitting in the mud, as long as he was lost, as long as he was alone, and he was stubbornly saying, I will not ask, I will not go home, I will not talk to my father, he was abandoned. But he was only abandoned because he chose it. He was only alone and destitute because he chose it. For us, God answers prayer, but it begins with us praying. If we don't do it, he won't answer. And I'm going to take it a step further. Wives, how high on the scale is your husband talking to you? Like your husband taking time to sit down and talk to you about something that isn't the farm, or even the farm itself. What do you think? Five out of ten? Six out of ten? Fourteen and a half out of ten? Relationships grow in talking. There is nothing more damaging to a relationship than silence. So it is with us and God. If you want to be like Christ, if you want to be a person who looks like Christ, who acts like Christ, who loves like Christ, who prays like Christ, who like, like imitates Christ in everything, whose kids look at him and say, I know who Jesus is because I know my dad is. Pray. Read the word. Hear what he has to say to you and pray. Don't be too busy. Don't be too good. Don't be negligent of it. Talk to God first. Talk to him last. Talk to him in the middle. Um, But the biggest mistake we make in prayer is just not doing it. So we're going to close in prayer, and I will let you go. And next week we will talk about how how to operate the machine extra wrong. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. Those of us who are prodigal, Lord, those of us who've gotten lost and are feeding the pigs, I pray that you would help us to come back to you and talk to you with the full knowledge that you love us and you desire us to come back, that you sent your son to die for us, that we would be forgiven. I pray beyond that, Lord, that you would prompt us to pray. When we feel angry, Lord God, and there are passions fighting within us and we are frustrated and we want to lash out or we're worried and we can't sleep because that, that desire to control the world around us on our own is, is on us. 
Help us to trust you and to go and pray. Help us to pray when we face temptation and, and pray when we face struggle. Pray when we you know, don't even know what to do next. Like Pray when we don't even have the words to pray and know that your Holy Spirit will carry those prayers up to you in groanings that are beyond what we're capable of. I pray, Lord God, that you would turn us into men and women, into believers who pray first, foremost, always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.